I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This is Francis Mercier and you're listening to Rebel Radio. Okay, fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh, Rebel Radio is going down. What do you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, my guest is DJ Francis Mercier. He's the label boss at Deep Root Records and is quickly becoming a force in the Afro house movement, as well as house music in general. Uh, he's got some great stories about his journey into dance music and kind of finding his voice and his, his unique lane that he wanted to play in. We have some really honest conversation about the challenges of being a DJ and an entrepreneur, business owner, uh, label head, uh, you know, being responsible for his own business and uh, the artist that he works with, but also kind of having a broader perspective about community and the sort of greater good of, of dance music, period. It's a fun conversation. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it right now with Francis Mercier. Well, man, thanks for making time to do this. Uh, uh, Lawrence is an old friend and and known him for longer than I care to remember. Um, and uh, he always sends me good people, so I'm excited to to dig in with you. And I I, I love the music I've been hearing and uh, really really like everything you're doing. So I'm excited to learn more about it. Thank you. So um, I always I always like to start at the beginning. Uh, do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? The first record I ever bought for myself? Mm. Uh, uh, probably I Thought You First Things by uh, Tiesto. Okay. Yeah, it's like, uh, I would say it was like a track that was in the early uh, 2005, approximately, I purchased that one. Okay. It was like, uh, it has a very grandiose kind of Olympic. Greek feeling to it, if that makes sense. Interesting. 
they had like a, a mixture of classical music together with dance and kind of more trance, okay. very melodic. And, you know, that's a record that, you know, I would say marked and really marked my interest in dance music. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and had you, was that kind of your introduction to dance music or had you, had you known about it really before that or? Yeah. I mean, really the Tiesto In Search of Sunrise were really my introduction to dance music. I mean, obviously I, I, I've heard the Eric Morello, I like to move it, move it. Uh-huh. You know, everybody kind of heard that. Of course. Yeah, so yeah. I used to hear it in the radio. It was always interesting to me, the bass line, but I never really understood it till I was a little bit older. And when around, uh, you know, 15 onwards, I kind of like was introduced to the compilation In Search of Sunrise. Okay. And they were like really like very dreamy mm-hmm. and very emotional, you know? Sure. Yeah. And so is this, are you still in Haiti at this point? Or are you, were you in the yeah, States? Yeah, I, I was in Haiti, yeah. Oh, okay. I had a few friends of mine, you know, because back back in Haiti, I had like a lot of international friends. Mm-hmm. So people from France, people from the, uh, people from the US, people from Africa. Yeah. And they were exposed to Tiesto, you know, from the US and Europe. And they came with this, uh, they had like the CD, you know, the cassette. And you see, sure. like the nice, this, this nice sunrise. And yeah. like, yo, this is the new album. You got to check this out. And we were listening to it, and it was something really special. Together with the song from Bob Sinclair, "Love Generation." Oh yeah. It's a great record. Those were like epic tracks that really marked and piqued my interest. You know, sure. all the kids. Like, I think somebody had just purchased an iPod, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Mm-hmm. It was that era or like a okay. CD. What, what are those? Yeah, yeah. And they were playing the record and everybody was like, wow, this is so cool. Oh my God, you know? Mm-hmm. So from the vocal to the melodies to the to the whistle and, and Love Generation mm-hmm. or, you know, just the general In Search of Sunrise, the, the feel good kind of dreamy and like emotional vocals. Yeah, they really touched me and sparked my interest. Sure. And from there, you know, I, I I fell in love with the compilation, and I you know purchased all of them, and I used to like listen to them all the time. Mm-hmm. Became a big Tiesto fan from the er- the early days on, and when I came to the U.S., I went to see him in concert. Once I saw him, I was sold. I was like, okay, I need to be a DJ too. Was that your first uh, dance dance music show as well? Um, my, my first dance music show was Armin van Buren. Okay. So I saw Armin, I saw Paul Van Dyke, I saw Tiesto, then I was like, that's the one. Nice. I got to do this. Nice. Yeah, yeah I saw kind of started Buren. at the top. Yeah, I saw Armin Van Buren with Jess. She was performing live, mm-hmm. microphone. Paul Van Dyke was playing in Central Park, Armin in Brooklyn, and Tiesto in some arena in New York. He was okay. doing his Element Live tour. Mm-hmm. It was something special, man. Absolutely. Um, and so, so where was, was that kind of the spark to you wanting, wanting to DJ or, or how'd that happen? Yeah, that, that, that from once I saw that, I was like, okay, you know what, this is what I want to do. Amazing. You remember yeah. the first, the first show that you played? Uh, it was a college show. Okay. You know, for, 
actually I started playing in my room. Uh-huh. Started playing for some friends for fun, sure. and then after the first show was like was on campus. I think it was like a, a frat, and they needed a DJ. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I know how to DJ. So I did the first gig. They paid me well. They paid me like 300 bucks. I was like, wow, this is nice. crazy. For two, hours, for two hours of music, I can do this. Totally. And I started scaling up from there, you know? So at what point is there, you know, uh, did the vision come together for, for what you're building now? Um, it, it took some time. I actually, you know, once I got into the DJing, I started throwing my own shows because that was really the only way to kind of make an impact. Sure. And... From there, you know, I started my event planning company. Okay. And I did that for some time, but then my previous business partner wanted to do more hip hop because that mm-hmm. was time I was trending. That was what was creating revenue the most. Yep. So that's not really my cup of tea. So I said, you know what? I want to start my own dance music imprint. And that's when I started Deep Root Records. Okay. This is in uh, 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. So about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And I started producing on my own because I wanted to like grow from playing local shows to potentially performing overseas and and doing what I'm doing now. It was a really big dream of mine to play my first show in Europe. I was like, wow. Yeah, I'm sure. Granted, granted when I was just a DJ throwing my own shows, I had the chance to play in, in, uh, in Sweden. I had the chance to play in, in Switzerland as well, but not as an artist, more just as okay. a you know sure. yeah so from there I, I had a taste of it and i was like man this is really what i want to do i want to try and like be a producer and i always wanted to when i first started djing but it was such a mystery and you know back then laptops were quite pricey for sure. for college students yeah of course i don't have like back i don't have this complex program logic ableton mm-hmm. i don't know what this is like chinese to me <laughs> So it took some time. So, you know, I started with my DJing career and uh, I started touring my own shows up until I was able to build myself financially. Then I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to give it a go and like launch myself as a producer, mm-hmm. get myself proper gear and give myself ample amount of time. So I took a year of complete hiatus in 2013, okay. completely disconnected from the world. Yeah. I was wow. working, I was making music, uh, Nighttime, I was making music from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. every day. Crazy. I did that for a year, and then that's really when I learned and, you know, mastered the craft. And from there, you know, it kind of, it kind of escalated, and I went through different phases. Was there somebody that that helped you at the beginning? Yeah, I had a uh, one of my artists that I manage now. Um, he his name is Kosi. Okay. We started working together. We started making tracks together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also I had also gone to uh, Dubspot, which is a, mm-hmm. a dance music like institution. Yeah, it, I don't sure. think it's anymore, but they had like no, it's uh, gone sem- now. Yeah, yeah, they had, they had seminars. So I took quite a few seminars. I went mm-hmm. to a few different classes. I, I, you know, I was curious enough, but ultimately to, to get the sense and the best of it, you, you got to produce on your own. You got to, 
you got to master the craft by doing. It's not just by uh, seeing, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So if you think back to that first year, um, what's somebody what what what's something you would tell people starting out to uh, not do that that you that um, you did maybe? Well, the first thing is don't necessarily put out the first record you make. You know, mm-hmm. take the time to like understand your craft and make multiple records. Mm-hmm. Become really proficient and become really you know like knowledgeable in the in your space mm-hmm. style of music you want to make and once you have like a level of proficiency then you can decide to put out the records but you know try to like have multiple records made and you know try to make some noise definitely that's something that i recommend people do not something that i recommend them not doing <laughs> so, remixing working with other artists yeah doing art just for free not necessarily for release try to remix like big records mm-hmm. putting it on soundcloud you know that's always good to put your name out there to get some training mm-hmm. but in terms of releasing originals that are going to go on spotify and on all dance stores i would take the time to really determine you know doing music that you believe in sure yeah so talk about that that process of sort of discovering your sound right because you start with you're inspired by Tiesto, by Paul Van Dyke, Armin. Obviously, the music that you make is quite different from yeah. all of that. Um, so, how do you? How does that happen? How do you go from taking that as inspiration to then developing your own sound? It, it, it's it's a three sixty to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, you it's mean? a three sixty because the 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 Paul Van Dyke, the Tiesto, and the Armin Van Buren of back in the day. People call it trance, but it's really close to the current deep house, which is sure. what I'm fond of right now, right? Yeah. But I went through cycles, so I started, you know, very fond of the the trancey kind of sound, and then I developed interest in classic house, which is what my main record label is. Mm-hmm. And from there, you know, at that point, EDM was really booming. Yeah. So we there's the movement called future house that kind mm-hmm. of came relevance. The Oliver Heldens. This is the kind of sure. time when I was producing music. That was what was cool, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I started producing, really. And after producing that for some time, I said, you know what? I want to do something more underground. So I went to Tech House. And I did Tech House for a bit. And then I was like, man, you know what? The Tech House is lacking some soul. So I did some Classic House, finally. Mm-hmm. After doing Classic House, you know, during the pandemic, I really wanted to do stuff that's more melodic, more emotional. Because that's that was my original love, right? Tiesto mm-hmm. mm-hmm. tracks, and I said, you know what? Let me experiment with the Afro, the melodic, the deep, the underground. And the pandemic, you know, I was I had time, so I was able to kind of like not produce just to release and to tour. Sure, I was able to produce and do something that I feel. Yeah. So. so I, I- I heard you on a on I think on Will Clark's podcast. Uh, oh. Will's been on this show, and and uh, I love I love some of the stuff you talked about, and and you know you talked about stacking up records during the pandemic, right? That you produced a lot of stuff, um, and you really took that time to dig in on music, right? Since you couldn't couldn't produce shows, um, so how did you know coming out of the pandemic? Hopefully we're we're out or we're coming out or something like that. Um, how did, what do you, what do you think you learned from that period 
and how has it shaped your your approach going forward? Um, well, I think it's it's given me it's it made me wiser. You know, it made me realize that what you put in the studio is what you get out of the studio. Okay, <laughs> made me realize that you know the more energy, the more unique you are. Mm -hmm. um, the more you know effort you put into your music the better off you're going to be respected as an artist, the better bookings you're going to get. Sure. That it's basically the more quality records you release, you're going to get noticed. You're going to create an actual fan base. So it made, it made me realize the importance of, of, of actually sitting down and doing your craft, producing to the best of your capacity, mm -hmm. having like a tree, multiple records made and having a sound that's consistent. Can you... Can you be a good judge of your own music or do you go do you go to other people for that feedback? I, I'm a good judge of my own music. Okay. I know when something is good, when something mm -hmm. is acceptable. I know when something is really good. Okay. Yeah. And I, I also know when I'm doing like a filler record and it's not really something special for me. And I know when I'm doing something that's like, I feel it, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You ever you, you ever put something out that you know you thought was exceptional, exceptional, and other people aren't feeling that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of tracks I put out. I think, I still think, I think people <laughs> are just. I mean, you know, nowadays people think it's exceptional. People love it. I get mm -hmm. amazing response, mm -hmm. but maybe the dance stores don't love it. Maybe the dance stores don't give it the same level of support because nowadays. I think the industry is a little bit challenging. You know, if you're not a big artist, if you don't have a big platform, you're not going to get much love from the dance stores. That's the, right. the bottom reality of it. And it's kind of sad. Sure. Um, so you really have to have a very good product. Mm -hmm. You have to be, to, you know, have a product that's strong enough to create dance, to, to create fans, to create listeners and an audience so that you can potentially have support from the dance stores. Mm -hmm. So one, one of the record I made, which I released on Blanish's label, it's called Bolingonanga. Mm -hmm. has like a phenomenal guitar, very beautiful vocals. And I, and you know, it, for me, it's one of my, I think, best produced composition. But when I released it, it was like one of the first releases I had post-pandemic. Post mm -hmm. And it didn't do well just because I hadn't released on a regular basis. So nowadays, now I'm like a little bit more established and, you know, I've been releasing consistently and my profile has been able to grow suitably. Mm -hmm. When I play that record, the reaction is always phenomenal. So I know when I have something really good, and typically when I when it's something really good and I know that it's really good, I know the crowd is going to love it. But the only thing is that, you know, it's not easy to crack the, the matrix of the sure. dance stores. It, yeah. it really is. It really is a challenge, you know, to 
to be relevant in the space, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a hustle and you have to like really have a big record. You have to release consistently. You have to do like a strong promotional push. Mm-hmm. Potentially you have to have a bigger artist than yourself on the record for it to mm-hmm. really break and for it to really see the light of day, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think about, you know, throughout the history of, of music, you know, in all genres, there's a lot of big records that we, that we all know that weren't big when they came out that for whatever reason, you know, it didn't react at radio or the stores or, or MTV didn't like it or whatever. Right. And, uh, you know, there's story after story of people at a label or a manager or an artist who just wouldn't give up and they finally got the record and now it's stairway to heaven. Right. And, and, uh, Stairway Heaven is a great example, right? That record did not work when it came out. And the guy at Atlantic Records just refused to to die, you know, on, on that record, right? He he wouldn't let it die and, and then it happened. And so, you know, I wonder, I think about that with, with what you're saying, right? And this whole, you know, we're in this cycle that, that just wants more and more content. Yeah, but to, this is happening prime time with one of my records, actually. I have a record called Premier Gao. Uh-huh. Um, the original release was, I, I would say, received very poor reactions from the dance tours. Yeah. And we made, I made a remix pack, right? Thankfully, the track had a huge sample and, you know, it was relevant in, in Europe a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I did a remix pack and nobody knew, everybody had lost expectations for that record and, you know, Black Coffee picked it up, started playing it on repeat. Mm-hmm. Then Adam Port, then Kind of Music, and me started playing it on repeat. And the track is now like gaining 10K views per day. Nice. 10 views per day. And it has not received any support whatsoever from any dance store. You know? That's crazy. And it's it's like the, the level of organic, you know, repeat streams is a proof of that. So you shouldn't ever give up on a record. And I knew the record was special. I knew the record was huge when I was making it. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it is a challenging situation for artists because you can have a, an amazing product and the the initial reaction, because it may lack, may cause you to give up. But, you know, I, I really recommend all artists if they have a, if they believe in their project, project, to send it out, send it out to DJs. If the dancers don't like it, make sure the club market likes it. Sure. I mean, I think that really speaks to your, you know, uh, your model of having your own label, your own parties, right? If you were just an artist that signed to somebody else's label and, you know, you have so much less control over that. Uh Um, I I release a lot of music on my own. I organize my own showcases. I try to push... I try to be in control of my of my brand and of my music, and of my future. So, how do you think about that as far as the the business model, right? As far as where you're going to make money versus where what's promotional for growing your brand versus what's your you know artistic creative expression? How do you, how do you balance those things? Um. Well, I I've always put art first, right? It's not about the money. Okay. If it was about the money, you know, we, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing, right? Sure. Certainly not underground music. Yeah. This 
certainly not music point blank because maybe yeah music is sure. like you know you have uh, one in a thousand chance to break through you know to make yeah. living right so that's right i i decided to pursue this career based on my love for music and based on my love for art and today you know when when I, when i'm in a position where i need to pick between art and what's going to make revenue i always pick the art you know and the, the because i'm a friend believer that the money will follow when art is good the 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 revenue will follow so so can, can you give an example of that yeah of course like i'll be presented i i'll collaborate with like uh i collaborated with a couple of huge singers and i have these huge records sitting on shelves i know if i release them they're gonna crush they're gonna crush dance stores they're gonna kill it mm -hmm. but it's going to take away from the authenticity of what I built, which people mm. are fans of, which is the Afro house. They want to see the underground Francis Mercier, you know? And in the long run, it's going to confuse my listeners, which I believe in the long run will affect my bottom line. Okay. I, I prefer creating, you know, music that I, releasing music that I really believe in. Mm -hmm. in an art form that I really believe in, although today it may not create the same level of revenue that something else that's super pop would do. But I think, you know, where the art is at its peak, the money will follow. Sure. Okay. Um, thinking back to that vision, you know, that, that, uh, that you identified originally, what do you think you're getting right? Today? Yeah. Man, I'm being original. I, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know anybody else that's doing what I'm doing. Mm. I know some people that are doing similar. There's a lot of Afro house producers. Mm -hmm. But I'm seeing Afro with tech house a little bit. Then going back to underground, I'm connecting the dots between different artists. I'm really open-minded. I'm here to support the community. I don't know many artists that you know, have such a willingness to help others, have such a willingness to connect, you know. So I think what's making me able to be relevant and kind of trending and successful is the fact that I'm very open-minded and very humble. Yeah, I mean, I know you collaborate a lot and I know you put stuff out on other labels and, and you know, you seem to be very um, community-driven. Are you competitive? person as well uh of course that, that, <laughs> without a doubt but i don't i don't try to compete with others i try to compete with myself right okay fair enough i try to elevate and reach higher you know higher grounds i don't try to say okay um i don't want this person to win i, I want to do better than them like that's sure. not really what i i would like to say i like to do as good as them yeah i'd like for both of us to win mm-hmm I don't want to be left behind, but I don't necessarily want to be above somebody and be, you know, at the detriment. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think especially in music and, and in, in what we do, there's no, there's, there's room for, for multiple winners. Exactly. Yeah. I wish, um, I, I wish the industry was, I wish more people in the industry were like me because it is cutthroat, man. Yeah. No question. <laughs> uh, it's, it's cut through. Uh, well, I mean, it looks like you're having fun. 
Well, yeah. I, well, of course. I'm ha- Listen, man, I'm having fun, but I'm also having a difficult time. You know, it's challenging. Okay. Uh, I'll be honest with you, it's not easy. You know, it, it's a lot of people think it's just smiling and partying and and drinking and <laughs> traveling sure. and enjoying. It, it's really not, not, not yeah. that, you know, it, it's a lot of struggle. It's a lot of what's, sacrifices. What's the, what's the hardest part right now? The hardest part is not being able to give um, my attention to my label mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm traveling every day and I'm performing all over the world. Yeah. So I can't really be there to nurture, you know, my uh, weekly showcases. Mm-hmm. I can't really be there to nurture and to like, you know, polish all of my other artists' releases. And I can't, you know, I have to like pass on the, the torch to my label managers and to my team. And sometimes, you know, Things could be done a little bit better if I was around. Granted, my team does an amazing job, but you know, it's uh, it can be a little bit challenging, you know, to have to give away the control. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the uh, that's the curse or the burden of uh, of the entrepreneur, right? Is you build something and then you have to give it away yeah. in order for it to to thrive and continue to grow. So that's that's the hardest part for me these days, you know. So where where do you go for help when you when you get stuck in with that stuff? Um, well, I have an amazing team, man. I have like a business partner. I have two senior label managers. I have mm-hmm. amazing media team. I have an events planning team. I, you know, everybody's like doing their best. Um, I, I ask for help. I ask. I, I I try to call the team to really try to elevate, to try and push. But for me, the biggest challenge is you know to be on the road. Not sure. being able to be, you know, when yeah. things are not going as planned, you know, the shows are not selling to the best when, you know, we're not able to get the talent we want to have to accept it and just keep struggling and keep mm-hmm. fighting, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so we can reach. I get it. Um, tell me about the, you have, you have multiple imprints, right? Correct. Um, so tell me about that strategy. Why is that? Why is that a good idea instead of keeping because I'm, I'm, under I'm, one? I'm, 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 I'm out of my mind. <laughs> I, okay. uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a strategic play. Actually, yeah. diversifying to be unified. That's really okay. because you cannot have, basically each label caters to a specific sound. And if we had kept everything under one umbrella, it would lack authenticity. You wouldn't have like a mission statement. Sure. You know, now I have Deep Root and a big picture is known as a house music or a record label. Now I have Deep Root Records, which is for tech house. Deep Root Tribe, obviously, is for Afro house. Mm-hmm. Deep Root Underground is for techno and melodic deep. And then we have Win, which is for pop music. Okay. So having this different label, it, it creates a more of a sense of community. Um, People can just go to the Deep Root Tribe playlist to get their 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 fix of Afro House. People can mm-hmm. go to Deep Root Sessions playlist to get their fix of Tech House. People know what they're getting into. When DJs receive a promo, they see Deep Root Tribe, they know what it's for. Sure. You know, when they see Deep Root Underground, they know what, what it's for. So we can target different audiences, different listeners, even when we're producing shows we have the capacity to have like um, 
multifaceted. Sure. We can be promoting like a, a techno show while we have an Afro house show. It's not competing. If everything was under one umbrella, if everything was under one umbrella, you, you can't really do two things at the same time. Fair enough. Sounds like yeah. a lot to manage, but I, I get it. I mean, yeah, it is a lot to manage, but it's 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 much better. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, no, not, it makes sense. You're not you're not competing. Um, talk about, let's talk about music marketing for a minute. Uh, it seems like, you know, everybody's so fixated on TikTok right now. And, you know, there's all this hype about, you know, certainly in the major label side, you know, they're waiting for, for songs to break on TikTok before they'll even release something. Um, what, what's it like marketing? What does a marketing plan look like right now for, for the records you're putting out? Um, I, I don't use any TikTok. I don't even check TikTok. You know, I, <laughs> okay. I try to stay in my space, man. Yeah. You know, like I try, I do what I know. So, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> up until what I know becomes irrelevant, then I have to, and I have the obligation to move elsewhere. That's how so, I work. You know? So what? So what is that for? For you, you know, how are people? How are you reaching audiences? And and what you? Well, what does your marketing plan look like? The, when you put the most important. My my music is is meant for the club. Sure. It's it's meant for easy streaming. But my music, I really want it to be felt and to be discovered on a dance floor, most importantly. So our records, we, we want them to be club records, most importantly. And from there to create experiences so that people want to come back and listen to them in their home, in their car, and whatever the case may be. But okay. we, try, we try to prioritize relevance in the dance space, mm-hmm. first and foremost. We try and prioritize relevance. You know, we want people to feel the records. We want to make stuff that's emotional, stuff that can really stick, and stuff that has a message, most importantly. So in terms of marketing, the first thing we cover, we want, you know, the big influencers to be able to play the records. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, hopefully, you know, we, we we try to bring the matrix to get some sort of support from uh, the dance stores. That doesn't always happen, but when it does, you know, it's always a bonus. Yeah. In order to really reach the wider audience and to really um, get records to break, my strategy is to try and collaborate with bigger artists. Okay. Because they just have a bigger platform. So if you have a really good record and you're a small artist, it's not going to succeed. Sure. You're not going to, you're not going to make a dent in the industry. Mm -hmm. Make a dent in the industry. You got to work with a bigger artist. This is like um, proven. Like, yeah, no question. For 50 Features, remixes, exactly. all that. Yeah. That's why people, you know, they call um, P. Diddy to feature on the record. That's why people, <laughs> yeah, that's why people, yeah, yeah, of course. Get those sure. to remix the record. That's why people call other artists because, sure, we get the visibility to get the streaming, to get, you know, the relevance. So, so what about you? I mean, I know you, you have, you know, in addition to the label, you, you're managing artists. Um, 
what are you looking for besides someone whose music you like? What, what are you looking for in an artist? What, what tells you that you want to work with somebody? Okay. Um, first of all, I, I have to like their music. Of course. Secondly, I have to be able to connect with them on a personal level. You know, I, I have to be able to to see that they're, they're you know, they're good people. You know, I, I, first and foremost, like we're not in the business here of making money. Sure. We're in the business of creating relationships of making people happy. So I have to be able to feel comfortable and happy with that person. Most okay. So if I'm able to manage an artist, I have to be able to vibe with them first and foremost. You know, we and how do you do, do you do that? You do that in the studio? You do it in the club? What's, uh... in the studio, just talking to them. Okay. Just see, see, feeling the energy. Okay. I can feel people's energy based on their text, based on talking to them on the phone. Mm-hmm. This That's what makes me a DJ. Sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> I like oh, it. That's, that's what being a DJ, you have to be able to read people, right? Yeah. Yeah, you have yeah. to be able to read people from looking at them. You have to be able to read an audience and read body movement to know if what you're playing is good. That's right. You have, so as DJs, you know, we're able to read people. When we're talking to people, we're able to feel their energy. Okay. Through text, through, through conversation, through mm-hmm. body language. Mm-hmm. For me, you know, speaking to an artist, I want to be able to see that the energy is right, that the intentions are, 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 are good, that, you know, we're able to build something beyond just their career, mm-hmm. that I'm able to contribute to them, to their life, and they actually care about what, what, what I'm doing and vice versa, you know? Love it. Yeah. So I try, I try to prioritize friendships okay. first and foremost over, you know, is this artist going to create profit for me? Sure. Especially in this day and age, if it's, if there's no friendship, if there's no synergy, I walk away, man. Mm. From whatever the business deal is, whether it be from the booking, whether it be from relationship, whatever the case may be, if, if it's not right, it's better to skip it because, yeah. Are you um, are you good at saying no to things? Not very good. <laughs> but every day I'm realizing that I need to learn to do that. Sure, it's it's a tough skill. It's it's so important. Yeah, but, I mean, but it's I'm tough, and, and, saying, and, it's, and especially for somebody who really values relationship and friendship. Yeah, I'm gonna start saying no, though. I'm gonna start saying no. <laughs> I, I mean, right. I have to, otherwise I'm gonna die, man. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Of course. Well, full disclosure, I have like a lot of booking requests and I have yeah. to start seeing them. Yeah. People. Absolutely. Like, no, it's good. It, it is. It's important and it's and it's hard. Um, yeah. It's hard, especially I think for, you know, as an artist, you start out, nobody wants to book you, right? You get one booking and you're, you know, it's the best day of your life. <laughs> and then if you do it right, then you have more than you can handle and you have to say no to things. But it's, but who wants to do that? Yeah, it's difficult, yeah. man. Yeah, for sure. Um, so these are, I know these are some good questions, man. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. I I've been doing this a long time. I appreciate it. Um, uh, well, here's an odd one. So I know you studied math in college, yeah. Yeah. And how how do you use that today? Is that is that important? I'm, I'm the founder of a business, bro. <laughs> Fair <laughs> so, enough. 
I, you know, I oversee, you know, the accounting, um, the decision making. I use it in, in my everyday, you know, because I think, you know, studying math just develops your brain. It's sure. Just studying, studying anything, actually, just develop your capacity to take on projects, to deal with, uh, you know, responsibility, to deal with pressure, right? Yeah. And just to keep cool when there's an issue. And I and I and I have to keep cool when there's an issue in music, in yeah. all form of way. Sometimes you know I have to make a record. There's a really strong deadline. I gotta keep my cool. Sometimes I'm performing and you know the vibe is not right. I gotta keep my cool. Sometimes performing the equipment is problematic. I gotta keep my cool. You know, even yeah. I'm touring, I miss a flight. Not a big deal. I gotta be able to like Absolutely. maneuver. So I think I've gained this kind of uh, aura and this kind of experience from, you know, challenging, difficult um, studies, which kind of trained me to deal with complex problems with a cool head. I love it. Yeah, yeah of course. It. Man. It's, it's, it's no, we, we, were, we were supposed to call like 10 minutes ago. I'm like, okay, <laughs> Andrew. Yeah, it's all good. You got to roll with it. That's, those are big life lessons. Yeah. Um, well, let me let me uh, do a quick lightning round before I let you get back to work. Okay. Um, what's your favorite city to travel to? Paris. Yeah, mine too. Um, who's your favorite DJ? Uh, today, Black Coffee. Okay. What's the last great book you read? Last great book? A Beautiful Mind. Mm. That's a good one. What movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? That's a tricky one. Um, oh wow! Oh wow! I can't. I can't respond to that. That's that's a that's a really good one. Okay. Let's say maybe, maybe we'll say what movie have I seen a lot? Um, probably the 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 French Les Intouchables, the French movie with uh, um, the dark skinned actor who's and who's who's helping the blind. The blind, you know what movie I'm talking about? No. Okay, it's a it's a French movie called Les Intouchables. It's a okay. French it comedy. Up. It's a French comedy um, with an art with a actor called Omasi. I think okay. I've seen it a fair number of times. Yeah. Nice. I'll look that up. Um, who's somebody you've learned a lot from that you haven't met? Oh, oh okay. That's that's a good. One. somebody i've learned a lot from one. that's i think this is like very good questions and i, I want to be <laughs> them properly somebody that i've never met but i've learned a lot from um, I, I, you know there are a few people it could be it could be it could possibly be you know like a, an agent it could probably be, possibly be a, a, a artist manager mm-hmm. but these days i feel like i meet everyone yeah of course right i feel like i'm on the road yeah sure things are things are so accessible it's very rare for me to be speaking to someone and not be able to meet them especially to the point where they're teaching me something sure have you have you met tiesto i haven't met him but maybe yeah maybe like an artist like that you know sure um I, I feel like I learned the fact that, you know, you have to be diverse 
you have to diversify your catalog, you have to be relevant in different markets, different sounds. Yeah, that's something that I can say I learned. Um, yeah. Nice. Okay, last one. I met every, everyone. I met. I met everyone. Sure. Everyone that I speak to. I, I mean, that's to what meet. ends up happening is you. You, you meet everyone. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. If I worked for you, if I worked at, at Deep Root Records, uh, what's something I would hear you say over and over? At the end of the day. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I try. I try to always draw conclusions. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Just uh, I try. I try to always keep you know summarize things for my team. Um, and also, I will also say to my team not to be afraid, you know, to mm-hmm. always follow their gut and follow, follow their, their inner thoughts. Yeah, that's big. And I think, I think people, you know, when you lead a team, it's, it's really about helping people break through the fear. Yeah. Being able to be confident and, you know, being able to push through despite second guessing. Yeah. No question. That's big. Well, man, it's so great talking to you. I appreciate the uh, the insight. Great, great, great chatting with you too, man. Thank you, man. I love what you're doing. We'll keep listening. Um, how should everybody find you online? Um, on Instagram, it's DJ Francis Mercier. On Spotify and all the dance stores, it's Francis Mercier. Uh, cool. You know, F-R-N-C-I-S Mercier, M-E-R-C-I-E-R. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, Instagram is typically the best these days just because it's like everywhere. But also my website, francismercy.com. People can see where I'm touring, where I'm traveling, where I'm performing. Nice. And I'll be all over the world this summer. You can't miss me. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so we'll be all over. East Coast, West Coast, Europe, Africa, South Africa, all over the place. Oh. Awesome. We'll be watching. Sounds good. Thank you for right your time, on. all right? Yo, that was Francis Mercier on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you check out Deep Root Records and all of their releases. You heard some snippets in our show. I hope you'll go uh, play a lot more, go to a show maybe. Hit us up if you're going to a show. We'll meet you out there. Uh, And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.